and I suppose the, the, the genocide in Gaza has revealed a lot of these grifters to be grifters. We've seen it, you know, as the ones who were all free speech. They were all for free speech during COVID. They were for the right to free thought, the right to express yourself. And now many of these grifters have gone, have gone all in on supporting Israel in its genocide against the people of Palestine. So you know, you know who I'm talking about. You know their names, right? But anyway, back in the wake of October 7th, there was a lot of debate about whether, you know, Hamas actually pulled it off or they didn't. And Kevin took the position at the time, Kevin Barrett, our friend, and my colleague, he took the position that it was a great triumph for Hamas. We had an argument about this back when we spoke about it. But I'm wondering if he's changed his mind because a number of things have emerged since then. A number of um, facts, I suppose you could you, you could say, it, with respect to what happened on the day. So we'll have a chat with Kevin about that and where he thinks this is all going to end up. Because what's happening at the moment is Gazans, Palestinians are being blown to bits left, right, and centre, and it's been going on now for weeks and weeks and weeks. And um, the British media dare not really. Sky has pushed it out a little bit. Sky has pushed the boat out a little bit in terms of it's gone after some of these um, idiots who appear to 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 justify it, like Mark Regev and, and uh, Tippi Hotaveli, that moron who's the the Israeli ambassador to the UK, they've come in for a bit of stick on Sky, but largely, largely, you know, they um, um, the media pushes the Israeli narrative and doesn't make any room at all for... Um, for, for for any nuanced debate about why the situation has endured for so many years, what happened 75, 80 years ago, and so on. At the time, it's 10 minutes past the hour. I said I'd read your comments, so I'm going to do that now. Thank you for them. You can leave a message for me via the website, richieallen.co.uk, or via my app, the Richie Allen Show app. Hi to Scottish John. Hi, John. He says, what about Jeremy Bowen? being removed from Gaza at the behest, the orders of Israel, says John. Yes, John. The Israelis calling the shots when it comes to the media coverage. Not only that, but we know the Israelis have murdered um, at least a dozen, if not many more journalists in uh, the region. Uh, I suppose they justified by saying it was friendly fire. Yeah, hi to Bob, who says, Richie, something big is coming soon, I believe. It was a conspiracy over 20 years ago when they said the new world order will be established through chaos and civil war. It seems pretty factual to me now. They will create a problem and swoop in and promise to protect us from it, just like the BBC documentary you spoke of, says Bob. Well, there have been a number of articles in recent days and weeks about an attack in the form of a cyber attack from a hostile actor that would would cripple the grid here in the UK and plunge us into darkness. There's also been a lot of talk about how a solar flare or solar flares could bring about the same eventuality and why we would be in dystopia. I, I talked about this on the Papers podcast this morning. So are they preparing something major, some big internet outage? I don't know, mate, but nothing would surprise me, to be honest, you know. Nothing would surprise me. You know, Gillian, thanks for your message. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've had better days, to be honest. 
and it's really knocked me hearing that news about Kerry. I wouldn't describe myself now as a close personal friend of Kerry's, I wouldn't. But I spent a lot of time in the company of David Ike. David lived with Caroline and myself in London for a year, and I would have spent time on the Isle of Wight with David. I would have met Kerry many times. We spent a weekend, uh, the family and and me and friends of the Ikes in Amsterdam when David was speaking there, and I got to know Kerry quite well, and she was a lovely, lovely person. It shocked me, really. Uh, three or four years younger than me, I would reckon. Uh, very young. And he and his family will be suffering tonight. So, again, uh, thank you for the messages. I will pass them on to uh, to Gareth later on. But they've been deluged, I believe, by messages from people offering love and sympathy and compassion. And that's a nice thing. Okay. Right. Shall we get Kevin Barrett on the programme, shall we? Shall we get Kevin on? Let's get Kevin on. We love Kevin. Kevin it is. Right. Um, 17,700. Actually, let me stop that now and do this. It's a Monday, isn't it? And uh, when you're a little bit under the weather, uh, let's see, I've just done something stupid. But I'm going to rectify it now and do it properly. Here we go. Brilliant. Now I've done it properly. Okay, let's get Kevin on. I don't need to tell you anything you don't already know about Kevin Barrett. Kevin is a broadcaster, an author, a researcher, an academic. He's an all-around good guy. Truthjihad.com, kevinbarrett.substack.com. Let's welcome back to the programme our friend Kevin Barrett. Now he's gone. Let's see, can we get him on there? Are you on, Kevin? Are you there, Kevin? No. Apparently he's in the process of leaving me a voice message. Now, I don't care if it sounds like car crash. What I'm going to do is I'm going to persevere. I'm going to ring and ring and ring and ring and ring until we get him on the line, Kevin Barrett. If not, we'll have to do it. You are trying to. Ah, for some reason. I know what we're going to do. We're going to take a tune. Are we going to take a tune? Kevin, are you there? Uh, yes, hello, Richard. Ah, thank God. There's witchcraft afoot, I think, Kevin. Witchcraft. Do you know what it is, mate? It's me. I'm an idiot. There's Skype are having a problem lately. I, this is a public service message for all of our listeners, by the way. If you're using your computer to phone somebody on Skype, like your laptop, but you've also got your Skype on a phone or something, it's um, it becomes it makes mischief when you try to ring somebody. You need to have your Skype closed on all your other devices. Sign out of them. I think that's what happened to me there, Kevin. I was signed in on my iPhone. Listen, welcome back and thanks for being here. How are you? I'm well. It's, uh, I'm glad we succeeded in connecting. Yeah, because it's very important, because especially in the UK media, apart from Sky News briefly, to be fair to Sky briefly, one of its reporters in Gaza last week did report openly and wasn't prevented from doing so that the Israelis were firing upon journalists and men and women as they were running um, down a street, as they were being told to evacuate um, a village or a town or, or whatever. 17,700 people dead now at least. Um, nine or 10,000 children. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if I've been desensitised to violence, Kevin, because as a journalist you're exposed to so much of it. But how can we speak of these things and not break down in tears? What's wrong with us? I mean, this is horrendous, yeah. isn't it? Or, or, yeah, or anger. And, you know, how... How can people who have power to try to do something about this not be doing anything? It's uh, it's just really uh, frustrating. I, I think that the, there will be a lot of, um, let's say, pushback from this. There'll be a, a lot of repercussions. 
for quite some time. But it's it's part. And I think the repercussions may be even greater because of the lack of action right now. As we witness this genocide that's being televised every day, and that in my part of the world, kind of everybody is just watching hundreds of children being slaughtered every day by these Zionists. It's uh, it's just mind boggling. And I, I fear for the safety of some of my of my Jewish friends. I mean, this is you know there there is that uh, hadith in the prophetic literature in Islam that says that at the you know at the end of times or you know, late in the day, the the rocks and trees will cry out. There's a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. And that, that sounds pretty harsh, but frankly, that's how billions of people are going to be feeling pretty soon. That won't do anything for the. For the, do I say mood? That will make a lot of Jewish people nervous. And we've got Jewish listeners to this program. They should be nervous. They should be very nervous. Well, hang on a second. We're talking about, I live in Manchester, in Salford. My my neighbours are Jewish. My accountants are Jewish. They're not responsible for what's happening in Gaza, Kevin. Absolutely not. That's right. And that's why I say I fear for them. And for so, I think the great majority of Jewish people are not really any more guilty of this than you and I are, you know, maybe a little more because most of them are, you know, speaking out the way we do. Um, But, but still the fact is that when, you know, the Jewish state is committing this, the biggest televised genocide in the history of the world, um, it's, it's creating a situation where naturally people are going to hate Jews in general, just like, you know, so many Jews, you know, hated Germans and so on after World War II. It's it's creating this long-term hatred. And just as a lot of Jews felt like they had to go hunt down Nazis and so on after World War II, you know, you can see why people who sympathize with the Palestinians, and that's many billions, are going to feel that way after this is over. I think, though, that any Muslim man or woman who takes the scripture you shared with us literally, well, that person is a dangerous person. They shouldn't be thinking about attacking Jewish people. An eye for an eye makes the world blind, not to mention that, as we both agreed, these Jewish people have nothing to do with it. In fact, many of them can be seen in Manchester at the weekends in Piccadilly. They're in London, in Leicester Square, opposing it, doing all they can to speak up about it. That's yeah, absolutely right. And I, I, I don't think that scripture should be, I don't think it's meant to be taken literally. I don't think that the idea was that rocks and, and trees would, would speak. That's, uh, I think that's obviously figurative uh, and symbolic. But yeah. what it's symbolic of is that things, you know, it, it's a prediction that things will reach a point where Jews are so blamed for things that it will be as if the inanimate objects were crying out. And it feels to me like that, that's how things are, are, are turning out. And again, you're right. It's, there are all sorts of people for, with Jewish heritage who are doing, really doing what they can to try to stop this. There are a whole lots of them. I mean, I, I have a bunch of friends who are, who are doing amazing work. Um, but that, and I think more, more people of Jewish heritage should follow in their footsteps and, and do more of that kind of work. And not only to try to save the people of Gaza, but ultimately to save uh, the Jewish people in the future. Kevin, can I ask, um, you, you recently, not so recently, but recently enough, you and your lovely wife Rabia have relocated to Morocco. Uh, I spent a little bit of time in, in Morocco, just a little bit. 
did, can you get any sense of how people in Morocco feel about it? Is there an outrage there? Are people talking about it on the news programs and, and stuff? Yeah, there, there's this kind of submerged, suppressed outrage. Everybody is watching it intermittently, if not kind of addictively, uh, primarily on Al Jazeera. And at the same time, the government here is afraid of things spinning out of control. And so they there have been protests. There have been big protests uh, in the big cities, uh, Casablanca, Rabat, and Tangier, three of them that I know about. But the uh, the Friday prayers have not been, at least the ones I've been to and I've heard stories from elsewhere in Morocco, that you know, rather than having the, the sermons on the, during the Friday prayers be very intense about this, they've kind of sidestepped it. You know, there may be some oblique references. I think the government here is, uh, is very uncomfortable because they have, of course, been on this path to normalization with the Zionist entity, not because anybody here really wants to do that. Uh, the entire nation of Morocco sympathizes strongly with the Palestinian cause, but because that was sort of the only way to save what Morocco or its government sees as an existential issue, which is this um, issue of the legitimacy of the Moroccan Sahara and this struggle with Algeria. Again, that's that. So that's existential for the nation of Morocco. And they, they don't. Uh, but, but by going down this path of normalization, making a deal with the Americans that Morocco would recognize Israel and establish uh, normal diplomatic relations if the U.S. threw its weight behind Morocco's claims to the Moroccan Sahara, uh, that deal then left their government vulnerable to the popular outrage against the Zionists. And so now I think that they're they're in a really tough spot because, you know, there's the prime, uh, rather the, the former prime minister, the leader of the biggest opposition party has been giving fire breathing uh, speeches, basically saying it's the duty of every Muslim to go and fight for Gaza. And you know, so the government's caught between a rock and a hard place. And this is this is just how it's been for you know, since the creation of the genocidal Zionist entity in 1948, the entire region has been just horrified by this ongoing genocide of Palestine. The word Israel is just a euphemism for the genocide of Palestine. And the leadership, though, has been pressured really hard because the Zionists have so much power in the West and the West has so much more power than the regional countries. And so it's it's been a situation where the leadership has been forced to compromise forced to basically accept the Zionists most of the time, whereas the population of this region has never accepted Zionism, has never accepted the genocide of Palestine, and never will. The U.S. president has authorized 14,000 more tank shells to be sent to the region, and apparently bypassed, bypassed even the approval or the nod or the OK from Congress. It's quite amazing, really, when you think of what happened in the United Nations the other day, when the U.S. vetoed the adoption of the resolution to demand a ceasefire there. I don't know what's going on in the States, Kevin. I know, obviously, you, you, you're you from the States. You've lived most of your life in the States. Um, it's hard to gauge the mood of people there. I mean, is it is it anywhere near the top of people's priority list in the United States, or are they too, you know, are they too wrapped up in the cost of living crisis and everything else that's going on? Well, I think the Americans have been so brainwashed by the false Zionist narrative that's been promulgated 
by the media, which is grotesquely disproportionately dominated by people of Jewish heritage who have at least some degree of sympathy with the Zionist cause, that that propaganda and brainwashing has distorted Americans' understanding of the issue so much that they're not nearly as uh, concerned about this as they should be. Uh, I don't think they realize that this complicity in this genocide that's being televised and that people are watching, this this is going to leave a, a traumatic imprint on billions of people for generations. And the United States is setting itself up as an enemy of billions of people for generations. And in an era in which technology is changing to the point that it won't take very many people to create non-return to sender WMD pretty soon, the United States really better watch out. I don't know if that, I mean, that maybe the empire will fall long before that happens from other causes, but it's, uh, you, you know, I'm, the hatred for what the government of the United States is doing in supporting this televised genocide is so off the charts, so far beyond anything I've ever experienced before. And I've been hanging around with people who were angry at the United States since I was a kid in the Vietnam War protests. But this is this is now uh, uncharted territory. I mean, that I, I, I just can't imagine that the American leadership even has a grasp of what it's getting itself into now, the kind of hatred that's going to be created against the United States for generations and generations. On, on that, Patricia, who herself grew up in the United States but has Irish heritage and is in Switzerland these days, she says, um, I read that more people in Gaza, including thousands of children, have been killed since October 7th. More uh, have been killed than American soldiers in Vietnam in the entire year of 1968. It's horrendous. And I've seen, I've seen even... Even here in the mainstream media, there's one guy, he's a deplorable presenter, his name is James O'Brien, works for LBC. He's normally on the wrong side of everything. But I, I did hear him today shouting at a listener who's very pro-Israel, pro-Zionism. He shouted at a listener, like, how many more will it take before you're happy, you know? How many more people who never raised a hand in anger against Israel? So maybe that's something to kind of grasp at and think, yeah. But the numbers are horrifying, Kevin. I mean, they are horrifying. I mean, nobody could deny now that this is ethnic cleansing. It just is, right? Simply. Oh, we've not lost it. It's not, it's not just uh, kind of this ethnic cleansing uh, in terms of you know killing a few people to drive a large number out, as happened in 1948, and has happened elsewhere, where the you know vast majorities of people uh, left and you know relatively smaller percentage were killed. Even that's even true of the uh, horrendous separation of India and Pakistan, but. The, now this, they're just mowing people down. This, this is just a deliberate decision to exterminate the seed of Amalek. I don't know if you've seen this, these like songs that the Israelis have been singing and posting proudly. Uh, we're marching into Gaza to exterminate the seed of Amalek. That's re- referring to the Old Testament's injunction to Jews to exterminate the, this people of Amalek, kill them all, kill the men, the women, the children, the babies, and even their animals. And so the Israelis are proudly singing this and proudly blowing up uh, apartment complexes full of families and houses full of families, mosques full of people, hospitals full of people. Uh, I don't really think we've seen anything remotely like this. I mean, even the Americans in Fallujah weren't, weren't remotely this bad. And, you know, they're, they're killing, you know, more innocent people, you know, in a week now in Gaza 
than the Russians killed in the year. You know, it, it's just off the charts and it's all happening in this little area. And I don't want to depress of, you, Kevin. Uh, I don't want to depress you, but nothing is going to stop this. So whatever the Israeli end goal is, I should say, I should preface my remarks by saying this is my opinion, but nobody is going to stop them. So whatever it is they plan on doing, they're going to do it. And I think, I, I, don't, I don't want to speak for you, you'll speak for yourself, but I think that people need to come to terms with this. It'll stop whenever Israel decides it stops, and that's the harsh reality. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, you may or may not be wrong, but that sounds awfully defeatist. You know, the real world is not one in which any particular group of people can just do anything at once. There are all kinds of constraints. And it's true that the Zionists have managed to create a situation where they face fewer constraints on them uh, than most people do. You know, sort of like Caligula created a situation for a while when he was emperor of Rome where he faced very few constraints. But eventually that kind of constraint-free, psychopathic, murderous, sadistic behavior catches up with you. And there are a lot of forces arrayed against the Zionists, and those forces thus far haven't been strong enough together to stop this slaughter. You know, part of the reason probably is that the leaders of countries have to consider their in national interests and it's they, you know, and then they'll also at some point be willing to to sacrifice if necessary, but it, it you know at this point like why is it in the national interest of Iran for example to flatten uh, all of Israel's major cities and basically destroy Israel and then in return have Iran's major cities all taken out with nuclear weapons is that uh, is that in their interest well probably not it's instead if Iran kind of you know calibrates the response and punishes Israel to a certain extent, but, you know, saves most of it in reserve while the Zionists dig their own grave in terms of their future legitimacy by committing the first you know, televised genocide, probably a hell of a lot worse than what is called the Holocaust ever was. And now it's all on TV live and billions of people are watching it. You know, this is, again, I don't think this is in the long term, maybe not even the medium term or even short term interests of the Zionists themselves. So uh, I don't think it's as simple as, oh, whatever they want to do, they're going to just get away with. It's not it's not remotely that simple. There are all sorts of forces out there pushing for their own, pushing each of their own agendas. And it's not going to end well for the Zionists. That I can tell you. Did you mean that it's televised worse than we saw the pictures from the from the concentration camps? Is that what you meant? Uh, no, it's just it's just plain worse. I mean, the. I can't I see how it could be worse, I, Kevin. I, 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 in my in my worst imagination, I can't. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to accept that what's happening in Gaza is comparable. Whatever the numbers, it's comparable. They're attempting to exterminate the people in Palestine. I've no doubt about that. But I don't see it as any worse than um, what happened in 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 Germany in the 1930s. I can't see how that could be the case. Well, in the 1930s, there was no Holocaust. The official story has it that the Holocaust began in the summer of 1942. But of course, the the even the you know movies about Anne Frank have to admit that the Germans fought very hard to keep Anne Frank alive, and she spent her last months in a German-run hospital where they desperately tried to keep her alive, and she finally succumbed to typhus. Uh, and I don't think the Israelis are trying to keep any Palestinians alive at all. They're destroying all of their hospitals. And I think that once you realize that, and then you go and read, go to uns.com, unz.com, 
and read Ron's work. Ron is a Jewish American uh, with uh, a very, very brilliant man. Read his work uh, on the Holocaust. Read his essay, Holocaust Denial. And you'll understand what I mean when I say what is going on in Gaza is vastly worse than what happened in during World War II and what came to be called the Holocaust. But but I traveled in Germany. I visited Dachau. I traveled in Poland. I visited Auschwitz. I spoke to people who'd lived there, elderly German people. I can't see how interning or interring Jews and murdering them um, and attempting to wipe them out completely is any less worse than what's happening in Gaza. I would say they're comparable. If you attempt to wipe out a group of people for any reason, whatever the reason is, there's no good reason, um, it's about as bad as it gets. I, I, can't, I can't say I think what's happening in Gaza is worse than what happened in Germany. I don't believe that. Well, I, I think you're right. There's a close parallel in certain respects. It's an ethnic cleansing, absolutely. But I think that, in well, the background of the ethnic cleansing in Germany was that the target group, the victimized group, that is people labeled as Jews, many of whom actually fought for uh, in the German armies, by the way, uh, this notion that, you know, all German Jews and all Jews in German occupied territory were, territory were you, all of them were just slated for as quick as possible extermination. That's ridiculous. I mean, why would they have kept Anne Frank alive for months in a hospital if that was what they were doing? Uh, so, but but the, the ethnic cleansing of Jews from Germany was essentially revenge against this feeling that they'd been stabbed in the back during World War One. And then also the fact that Jews were grotesquely overrepresented in all of the best kinds of positions in society, as well as the worst, the worst gangsters, human traffickers, drug dealers, prostitution, sex industry, organized crime in general, uh, as well as the best positions, the highest earning positions, the banks, et cetera, et cetera. And so there was a lot of resentment against Jews who were a disproportionately powerful group. They were the powerful group, and the Germans were less powerful than the Germans organized and persecuted and expelled no, the but Jews. No, but that's gross. Cleansing. But that's the gross. Hang on, hang on, hang on. victims who were invaded by a vastly more powerful force that was bent on their extermination. That is infinitely worse. I, I accept what you said about what's happening to the Palestinians, but you made some gross generalizations about the positions of Jewish people in Germany, and you know you did, and you're an academic. First of all, Jews are not a race. They're not now a race, nor were they ever a race. The Jews you refer to were Germans who observed Judaism. And it's a gross generalization to say that they had all the power in Germany, and you know that to be true. And I'll tell you something else, Kevin. Um, World War Two came out of, and you said it yourself, the brutal punishment of the, of the German state by the countries that defeated it in the First World War. And Jews had nothing to do with that either. Well, that's not what most of the Germans thought then. And I, again, read Ron Unz's revisionist work about World War II at UNZ.com. And then, you know, we can discuss... No, Why fair enough, fair enough. Wrong. But look, look, you you are way above as an academic saying to me, just go and read this article. You're way above that. I don't care what the Germans saw in the 1920s and 30s because they thought as they thought because of the relentless and disgusting propaganda against the Jewish people. And you know that to be true as well. No, I don't. Well, you do. I, 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 think I do. I know it to be true. That's a picture. That's, prop, that's, that's the result of your having been force-fed ah, propaganda by the no, victors, no, victors no. history. I'm an independent thinker, Kevin. I don't take what I'm given in school, in high school. I don't take what I'm given by the media as fact. I do my own looking into it. And I, I, what I conclude is different to you. And it's rather cheap of you, my great friend, and you'll remain my great friend, to say that I'm the victim of propaganda just because I see it differently than you do. 
That's not right. I see well, it differently. I think we all are. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been the victim of propaganda, too, and it's only in the last 10 to 15 years that I even started looking into these issues. And I was just utterly shocked and appalled by what I found about what I had been taught about World War II by the dominant culture, the media, uh, the predominance of scholarship. It's, it's all lies. It's all victor's history. Uh, they've turned everything upside down. The real story of World War II is radically, radically different from what we all have been force-fed in the West. I want to ask you about this, because um, we're not going to agree on that. I-, I wanted to ask you, back shortly after October 7th, we had a chat. It was nice and heated, which is great. I love a bit of that, to be honest, Kevin. We don't have enough of it. But um, not to be revisiting those arguments, but something you said at the time, which I took because it was your opinion, you thought it was a coup by Hamas on October 7th. Now, I want to ask you, have you revised that opinion? And the reason I ask this is because we've learned a few things since then. The first one being, I think, a very important one, is that um, the lookouts, the mostly female lookouts, who um, are employed by the IDF to keep an eye on what's going on over the the, the prison fence, let's not call it a border because it isn't, um, they basically told their superiors that something very serious was going down. And they were threatened with court-martial if they didn't shut up. And when you factor in it took six hours for the IDF to respond, I'm beginning to think, Kevin, that it isn't beyond the bounds of possibility, and I can't prove this, it's just an opinion, that maybe it was allowed to happen. What do you think? Well, I think that's more likely than it seemed back on October 8th. As you say, a lot of interesting uh, evidence, or at least reports, have been coming out. I didn't see the one that you mentioned about uh, women being threatened with court-martial if they spoke out. But I, I did read Ronan Bergman's recent piece in the New York Times uh, from last week in which he revealed that the top levels of the Israeli government supposedly had a very detailed outline of the plan that Hamas would put into action on October 7th. They had that a year early. For the whole year, uh, they sat on it. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Also, the put options, that is, People yes. with foreknowledge bet that Israeli stocks would plunge on October 7th. Who were those people? I don't think that was Hamas. So, do you know who it was, Kevin? Kevin, do you know who did it? Do you know who did the put options? Osama uh, bin Laden. Osama bin Laden did, Kevin. There you go. He yeah, must have done. Hilarious, isn't it? No, no, thanks for, bring, thanks for reminding me. Yes, the put options are incredibly suspicious. But here you go. Jerusalem Post, November 19th. IDF lookouts who had warned their commanders they were concerned about the situation along the Gaza border in the months before October 7th were told to stop bothering them and threatened with a court-martial. Yeah. It's filthy. Filthy, isn't it? It's filthy, Kevin. Somebody knew and somebody thought, you know what, if we allow something to happen, maybe, this is just my opinion, we can do, well, we can do whatever we want then in Gaza. Maybe. I don't think they wanted it to turn out the way it did. It's, It's possible. But it's it really didn't you know, I, I don't I can't see how any strategist would think that this is beneficial to Israel. That is, prior to October 7th, the Israelis were on the path to normalizing with the Saudis and with the Gulf region in general, which would have given them the upper hand against the Palestinians in perpetuity. Uh, and they also enjoyed a reputation as being pretty much unbeatable. And so today, that normalization plan is dead, very likely forever, and their reputation for being unbeatable is in tatters. And they're being beaten militarily in Gaza, even as we speak. Every day, uh, we see video evidence of 
uh, up to dozens of Israeli tanks and other military vehicles being destroyed by Hamas. We have, it seems the Israeli casualties are vastly higher than the official ones, and, and this has been leaking even in Israel now. Uh, so this, this war has been a disaster, especially the hostages. You know, Hamas would have had over 700 hostages if Israel had not invoked uh, mass Hannibal, that is this Hannibal directive to kill hostages as well as hostage takers to prevent the political liability of hostages. And so they declared mass Hannibal, and that's the direct uh, words used by an Israeli Air Force officer in an interview describing the fact that this was indeed ordered on October 7th. So they deliberately murdered hundreds of Israeli civilians, as well as their Hamas captors. If they hadn't done that, there would have been perhaps seven or eight hundred hostages rather than 250. So th- can you send me a link, has- Kevin? Can you send me a link to that so I can verify that? Yeah, there, there's all kinds of material about this, but the first place to go is Max Blumenthal's work uh, in the gray zone. So if I read Blumenthal's latest article about how the uh, the legend of the Hamas brutality and all of this was uh, created to hide the fact that it was actually Israel that killed the vast majority of its own civilians on October 7th. Yeah, Blumenthal is the wrong Jew, isn't he? There's a lot of wrong Jews lately. If you look well, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's funny, is isn't it? People like Max Blumenthal and so many other people with Jewish heritage are doing great work on this, although Max, I think, is really setting himself apart. Uh, but many others are doing great work as well. And it will be tragic if people just end up uh, hating on all Jews. But you can see why they would, given what the so-called Jewish state is doing. It's short-sighted and small-minded, um, people who do think like that. And ultimately, it does no good because humanity has to pull together, Kevin, because I'm going to give you the last word, as I always do. In my opinion, what's happening in Gaza, heinous as it is, and it is causing me sleepless nights, it is, I can't bear it. There's nothing I can do about it, only talk about it. Um, but it's it's one facet of a much wider agenda, basically to enslave humanity and take us into a technocratic, dystopian future where every movement of ours, every thought we have is controlled. And if we don't unite and somehow stand up against it, we're finished. I'm going to give you the last word. Before I do, kevinbarrett.substack.com, truthjihad.com. You're listening to academic broadcaster, author and researcher, Kevin Barrett. Final word, pal, to you and thanks again for coming on. Well, thanks, Richie. And you know, I have to admit that you may have been right about the possibility of some kind of stand down on October 7th. That's that I'm admitting, you know, I didn't think it was true last time we talked. Now, maybe it turns out you were right. And then secondly, you're absolutely right about this being part of the push for a global technocratic dictatorship. And uh, for I actually just wrote about that. And my most recent article at the Substack, kevinbarrett.substack.com, gets into some of the details about how I see that particular plan. Kevin, um, best to you and Rabia, and um, Merry Christmas. I don't say that now with tongue in cheek. I'm not a Christian myself, but um, happy holidays then, and thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on throughout 2023, and I look forward to chatting with you and uh, sparring with you in 2024. Cheers, my friend. Okay, thanks, Richie. Take care. Bye for now. Kevin Barrett live on Monday's Richie Allen Show. As I said, kevinbarrett.substack.com and truthjihad.com. Thanks to Kevin.